welcome and thank you for joining us today so ai explained on building generative ai apps for production uh, my name is krishnaram kentapedi i'm the chief ai officer and chief scientist at fiddler ai and i will be your host uh, today uh, this is uh, chayo yang founder and uh, ceo at uh, bento ml um, chayo would you like to just go ahead and introduce yourself absolutely Uh, thank you, Krishna, and for having me. And uh, my name is Chao Yu. I'm the founder and CEO of Bento ML. Uh, we help AI teams to deploy and host their AI models and workloads in the cloud. Uh, we have a bunch of open source work, and uh, uh, very excited to be here. Awesome. Um, let's start with um, like discussing some challenges around uh, deploying LLM uh, prototypes into pr production. Uh, can you highlight what are the key challenges? Uh, that uh, enterprises uh, face when deploying such uh, prototypes into production i think a lot of time people start with understanding the quality of the uh, machine learning model or i guess these days more people are working around large language models uh, so being able to evaluate how the model performs and understand how it behaves in different scenario uh, is critical before you let it uh, get to the hands of your users and customers um i think at a pretty high level a lot of organization would have concern around uh things such as data privacy security uh and then once pass through that stage uh typically around um performance in terms of latency uh how fast your user will be able to receive the response and uh the cost of operating everything in the cloud um and for us specifically for for us providing developer tools i guess uh developer experience and developer velocity is also a very important factor to consider uh because applications are keep changing uh you need a way for developers to quickly iterate and get things to um update it to production um so can you go maybe a, a little bit uh, deeper into this cost and performance considerations maybe can you give some examples uh Uh, of what are the kind of considerations uh, the customers have absolutely um i think especially for generative ai and large language models um you typically will need gpu resources in order to run inference uh, with those large models uh, and gpu availability is a real challenge i guess the first thing is you really want to make sure pick the right cloud vendor uh, that offers the Uh, the GPU available for your workload, um, and then because GPU are so expensive, you should definitely consider um, optimizations around your cloud infrastructure. How you are leveraging those GPUs, uh, you want to make sure your workloads are efficiently auto scaling uh, to handle a large amount of traffic, or when there's not too much traffic, uh, you may want to scale down to one or zero instances um, to to reduce cost. um there are also things such as uh utilizing spot instances for online traffic uh without downtime or um working with cloud vendors to to purchase reserved instances uh all those things can can generally gives you more cost efficiency uh if you're looking to host those models yourself um i think um a little bit more on performance i think the first thing you need to understand is your performance goals so there's no silver bullet that can just optimize your ai workload for everything um i guess large range models basically um if you're only looking at uh latency for example you should think about 
typically people think about token per second, um, but um, you should also think about what's the time um, does it take to receive the first token, generated token from your service, uh, as well as for a lot of cases where you're working with uh, structured data, structured response from a large range model, you may want to evaluate end-to-end -end latency uh, where large range model generate the entire response. So kind of uh, somewhat related to uh, that uh, node, uh, how do you think LLM developers uh, should decide between, say, using an open source LLM versus like acquiring open AI or other endpoints? Uh, what are the kind of trade-offs? Um, I think going back to the quality first is uh, GPT-4 from OpenAI, for example, probably offers the best performance out there in terms of large range model. Um, but you, you want to see if you are uh, solving a domain specific problem. Uh, let's say you're working with a customer su support chatbot. It doesn't need to answer a completely question that's retrieving, uh, getting some knowledge from Wikipedia. Uh, and uh, there's already a lot of uh, content out there talking about how do you fine tune an open source model such as Llama 2 that can actually beat GPT-4 in performance uh, in some of the domain specific tasks. Uh, so I think definitely from your business requirement perspective, uh, look at what type of quality you need, what type of problem you're looking to solve, uh, and at least validate if uh, open source models are a valid path going forward. Um, I think one common question I hear from developers and especially startups is if they're mostly building around OpenAI and ship the product to production, um, whether or not there will be a differentiation in terms of the service they provide. Um, I, I guess that goes beyond the, uh, this discussion. Uh, that's something people tend to think about as well is how much um, room there is for you to build that competitive advantage over your competitors. Um, and uh, another consideration typically for larger enterprises, data privacy. Um, using a vendor like OpenAI, definitely you are running on the risk of exposing sensitive data to a third party vendor. Uh, whereas with open source models, uh, you can self-host, it's possible to run them on-premises. Uh, and you also avoid the vendor locking. In general, it just gives you a lot more transparency and control over how you run your large range model apps. Uh, how does it access your data uh, and how do you control your code and customizations on top of the large range model. Um, but self-host might not be for everyone, right? The first, you probably need um, in-house expertise to run all the complicated infrastructure. Um, in general, it probably delays your time to market because there's that initial uh, rollout cost. Uh, you need developers to spend time to figure out that whole setup. Um, and uh, uh, you also should consider the cost associated with running your own large range models. Um, especially it's a problem for low usage. When you're just starting out, you only have small amount of users uh, re re requesting accessing your service. Um, with commercial large range models, they typically charge by token per second. Uh, so that's probably not a problem. Uh, but for open source language model, you are typically paying for the amount of compute uh, used for hosting those models. Uh, so one of the problems that we at Bentamel run into a lot is people asking for the capability to scale the, the deployment to zero uh, when it's not being actively used. Uh, but then they want instant startup time when a request comes in. So that's a, an area that we do a lot of um, optimization on. Uh, 
Um, but in the longer run, long term, uh, if you um, think your service will have very high amount of usage, you will be able to saturate all the GPU resources. Uh, open source large range models tend to be more cost effective, um, assuming the quality is good enough for a use case. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a, a really amazing perspective. And and, and just to add to that, uh, yeah, yeah, sentiment I, I often hear uh, from conferences like the one I mentioned or from uh, talking to customers is that uh, if you are building a new LLM application, maybe initially focus on identifying the product market fit. Right? Initially focus on identifying, um, getting some ba basic functionality end-to-end end end and seeing the feedback, uh, get the gauge the feedback from potential customers and for that, maybe the 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 path of least resistance might be possibly leveraging uh, an existing endpoint, right? Open AI or other endpoints, and building this. But then once you start, once you have set that up, and you see that uh, there is there is a lot of interest in the whatever you are offering, and then maybe start thinking about develop having the expertise for. Uh, maybe uh, leveraging an open source LLM, right? For and for all Absolutely. the that you highlighted, like whether it is uh, keeping the data proprietary to yourself, you don't want to. You may need to ma meet certain regulatory requirements, uh, or you may not want to be paying a lot to open AI once you, especially as your traffic gets larger and larger. Um, and and finally, like I think going back to what you were mentioning at the beginning, right? Like I think. Um, uh, this is also have, uh, I'm hearing a similar sentiment. Like if you're if you're building a chatbot to answer based on uh, that your documentation or uh, the help articles that you you have developed, you don't need a really fancy uh, GPT-4 model to to kind of summarize the response in a natural language format, right? You you can you can use information retrieval based approaches. Um, to get the relevant documents and then all you need is a model that has some kind of natural language processing abilities to take these documents and summarize the relevant information in a kind of natural language format right and and we'll get to we'll get more into um, some of these dimensions shortly like aspects like retrieval augmented generation but but looks like you don't need a uh, you don't need a GPT-4 model for just addressing this, right? You're not, so long as you're not trying mm -hmm. to leverage all the world knowledge that it has uh, captured, you, you may not need uh, need this. Um, That's a great point. Yeah, we, I think a lot of the um, customers, open source users we see really successfully uh, self-host their models kind of go through that path of trying out building prototype with the commercial available LLMs. Uh, and then evaluate the business outcome. That usually helps justify the cost and the long-term investment of those uh, large-range model projects. Because um, otherwise, I've seen people go the other side, around, other way around. Uh, they look at the GPU cost. It seems very intimidating, uh, whereas they don't have the business metrics to back it up to support that cost. Uh, so before uh, we go into the next topic, uh, just out of curiosity, like you mentioned that uh, sometimes customers expect the following, right? They want to shut down the instance when there is no traffic and mm -hmm. they want to get the instance back up uh, with very low uh, latency. 
uh, if you're thinking of something like maybe uh, 10 billion parameter llm right like some of the llama like llms uh, do you have a sense of how much is that time like if it's if it's the instance is not running from where the instance is not running to get it up and running mm-hmm. what be the time like mm-hmm. um i think in general there's a couple trade off there if you absolutely need the latency and you are running a very commonly available model mm-hmm. um th- there is possible ways that just have a shared instances among customers serving the same type of model uh if you want a dedicated deployment uh there are also ways to for example um keep the instances warm uh, and uh, cache the images on the node uh or ways that to uh make sure the model loading to memory faster uh so it's a trade off between the cost and the cost or latency that it would need uh and as we building adaptives and infrastructure for developers we tend to make all those options available for developers so they can have more control and decide what works best for their scenarios and you mentioned about um having shared instances across multiple customers um mm-hmm. in in that instance like uh, in that case scenario like are there ways to have a clean separation like making sure that the the prompts from one customer somehow don't influence the state uh, when a different see, see. asking the same language model um for us it's always a clean separation i think we we uh in the in the case of bento cloud we do a uh, kind of dedicated deployment for each customer uh so they don't uh, the one model instance won't be handling a two requests from two different customers at the same time yeah uh, yeah yes i think i think that's that, that's a, a, a good point uh, and that gets us uh, into uh this dimension of say security of uh, llm apps right so could, could start start maybe start with uh, just highlighting what are the different uh, security and safety considerations uh, and are there any lessons we can draw from uh, b- uh deploying predictive machine learning models mm-hmm. um i think first is uh probably still the topic of data privacy like where you uh manage your data do the data and model governance understanding what are the data set used for training uh each specific model i think that from a data science workflow perspective uh still the same concept applies to large range models uh, especially in an enterprise setting um i think with lms they come with a greater uh capabilities but also uh things such as hallucination uh can cause serious uh, problems in production uh so i think um actually observability has never been more important with large range models cuz they can do so much and so unpredictable uh so being able to understand how your prompt or your fine tuned model behave in different scenarios uh, how your customers are engaging with those large range models uh becomes very important and those uh observations can help you continue to improve uh your large range model application yeah yeah yes i think that's that's spot on as we were kind of we were just starting to discuss before the webinar started right i think one uh, sentiment i see is that in uh in for predictive machine learning models often customers wanted monitoring and observability of what's going on but mm-hmm. but they were fine with maybe having 
these cases observability uh, with their delay of maybe five minutes or 30 minutes or an hour, depending on how we have set up the monitoring pipeline. But with with the LLMs, because of all the reasons you kind of alluded to, right, like hallucinations to generating toxic content or even leaking PIA and so forth, mm -hmm. uh, customers are it's showing a lot of interest in having an AI safety or proxy layer that even right. detects these kinds of issues in real time and uh, uh, ensures that the end users don't get to see maybe the toxic content generated by the LLM or the any uh, PII leakage or bias or other types of issues with the LLM. So, so they are really looking for um, addressing these kind of security or safety considerations right uh, during real time. And that's a, that's an interesting uh, shift that we are seeing compared to, uh, say, the customers using little bit more predictable models, right? Like with all the issues with LLMs, this seems to be a sea change. We're actually seeing some customers use more traditional ML or, uh, for example, use a fine-tuned BERT model to help classify if the outcome, output is toxic or to detect if the user is asking a genuine question in the context of the business problem. Um, but I guess another thought in the back of my head is that there are are still a lot of problems people trying to solve with large range model can actually be solved with the domain specific machine learning model. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the lower barrier to entry and really easy to set up um, makes people think about you know how that's uh, that can be impactful for their business. Yeah, I I, I think that's a great point. In in fact, uh, we are seeing this uh, light off uh, approaches where. Uh, there is a benefit of using other language models or other kind of um, uh, uh, maybe not very large parameter, even smaller size models to evaluate some of these dimensions. Like even um, in the process of um, building uh, Fiddler Auditor, which is uh, a, an open source project we released uh, a few months back to kind of study the robustness uh, and other issues with uh, LLMs, we notice that leveraging other LLMs to generate maybe variants of prompts or, or generate, identify how similar are the responses is quite valuable. Um, do open source LLM models uh, specify their data sources for training? Uh, is, that, uh, is, is, is that all clean data from a legal perspective? If we build a solution for a client leveraging an open source LLM model, is the client at risk of getting sued over training data or is that fear not legitimate? Um, that's a great question. I think it really depends on the LLM provider. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them do disclose uh, the, the source data sources used for training. Uh, many of them you cannot find any reference at all. Uh, mm -hmm. So definitely be careful uh, when choosing the open source large range model. Um, and uh, uh, I guess another pretty common thing to look at is the license for the open source model. What's specified in the license that they allow commercial use. Um, and uh, um, uh, if it's available, definitely consult your in-house uh, legal team for help. Um, I, I think from our perspective, we in general don't give any recommendation in terms of the, the legal advice here. 
um yeah i think i think uh, yeah, related to this uh, question yeah yeah comment i have uh, heard um uh, yeah recently is that uh, if yeah, uh, the large providers right the providers mm-hmm. like uh, microsoft amazon googles uh, and open ais of the world uh, could potentially indemnify you as a customer uh, against any such uh, liability issues mm-hmm. uh, but but the kind of uh, rhetorical question is like if you use a, an open source llm uh, you would be on your own right if somebody goes and sues you for for some of the uh, kind of maybe uh, uh, copyright violations or other issues right. with the, with the tra- emerging from whatever is used as part of the trading data um that's right i think what makes this more complicated is there are so many fine tuned version of llama 2 available on hugging face mm-hmm. um for for example if you need a llama 2 that supports function calling uh, there are a bunch of them that's fine tuned available uh and those tend to from individual developers or smaller companies and it's very hard to tell if those those models will come with um different type of legal risk mm. uh so kind of somewhat related to this uh, question like uh, yeah, with the caveat that perhaps neither of us is uh, an expert in legal domain right so we are not, we, we don't we are both we have great technical backgrounds but not legal expertise um one of a yeah, related uh, dimension that um, i uh, saw in uh, a paper that came out a few months back uh, is that is a large language model or is a, um, say a diffusion model mm-hmm. a machine learning model or is it a database uh, the context was that this paper showed that um, the diffusion models like stable diffusion and other models uh, tend to memorize instances in the training data and uh, you can if you uh, say let's say there is a name of a person and there is an image and that image appears a lot of times because likely because this person is a celebrity or is well known and then at prompt time if you query that person's name it generates an image which looks almost identical to the original image mm-hmm. uh, so the paper brings up these kinds of questions like if this happens a lot uh, then there could be a view of the model as a database which is retrieving things in its uh, data store and surfacing that if, if the model if this llm or the diffusion model starts getting viewed as a database the the copyright implications are very different right compared to if it is interesting and synthesized model um i would encourage you to uh, take a look at this paper if you get a chance or this is uh, one of the uh, papers we highlighted in the recent icml and kdd uh, tutorial uh, that uh, i presented along with some folks from uh, other companies um so, so let me uh, go to another question is it wiser to develop in a manner to be able to switch in and out of llms um sorry do you mind repeat the question um so i think what um, the spirit of the question is can you develop uh, your applications such that you can perhaps leverage llm if needed and uh, you can switch out an llm um, or maybe it's more like you can you develop the application in a manner such that uh, 
the which llm that you want to use can be switched on and off right you might start with uh, using open ai's uh, uh, apis and then as the application matures you, you may decide to switch that out for say an open source llm i see I see um from infrastructure perspective it's really easy to switch an llm behind an endpoint um like for for example, our open source project OpenLM it offers a more sophisticated endpoint, but also also offers a endpoint that's compatible with OpenAI. So if your application is built around OpenAI SDK, uh, you can literally switch the endpoint, and uh, all the code should still run. Um, mm -hmm. But the more challenging problem is you write you wrote prompt around those models. Sometimes you may have a fine tuned version, uh, a fine tuned model underneath. Uh, and I guess the cost of switching those and experimenting how the prompt performs in the new, with a new model, uh, that can be a lot more time consuming. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah th thanks Chayu, for that comment. Um, uh, let, mm -hmm. me, let me go to uh, another question, which I think is uh, somewhat related to the security uh, discussion we have had just earlier. Mm -hmm. um, what licenses are safe to use for commercial products? Uh, would you consider BSD, uh, Apache, or GPL, or possibly others? Uh, I think most of the ones you mentioned are are pretty friendly commercial licenses. I think these days, with um, I guess if you are referring to the software layer uh, or the infrastructure layer, most of those software, I think it's generally pretty safe to use. Uh, we choose Apache 2 because that's mostly um, widely acceptable for enterprises. Um, but as we discussed earlier with large range model, uh, it's still yet to be defined what, uh, what, uh, whether or not you see, say, a diffusion model as a database or how those software licenses apply to uh, large models. Yeah, so maybe just to um, elaborate or clarify, mm -hmm. uh, I think we are not so much concerned about uh, those who uh, trained these language models coming after you, right? Like we, we don't right. expect that, uh, let's say Meta is Meta. going to go after all the companies using Lava too, right? That's not, that's just the opposite of what their intent is. Uh, we are more concerned about uh, those who have claims to the copyright of the data used in the training data, potentially, mm -hmm getting concerned that uh, the application is violating their copyrights and wanting to sue the those who are leveraging, uh, let's say, an open source model. Uh, from that angle, I think, just from a license perspective, so I think anything which allows uh, commercial uh, use should be fine, right? This could be Apache or it could, it could also be slightly, uh, those that allow commercial use, like say Elastic License, uh, which, uh, many organizations are gravitating towards because they don't want their own competitors to start offering that that as a managed service right otherwise they are That's finding right. customers using um that that tool for commercial purposes um so, so let, let me uh, go to take another question um what testing tools do you use for prompt validation or a review what prompt tools do we use for validation and review? Yeah, what um, testing tools? I see, I see. Um, I think we, 
we are mostly building tools for developers, and uh, we see a lot of our developers actually uh, use very different tools, like our customers. They use different tools for that. Um, I, I guess I, I don't have a strong opinion which tools to use. Typically, I find it most helpful if you do provide the interface that's available through Jupyter Notebooks. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can really easily experiment with one-off prompts. Uh, but at the same time, you can easily scale it to uh, on a larger data set and then figure out ways to visualize and understand them. Um, so if I may add some uh, thoughts, I, I think um, mm -hmm. uh, validating both the prompts and uh, responses is, is quite important. And this right. foundation can be along different uh, dimensions. One, of course, one dimension would be um, with respect to some kind of uh, maybe uh, labeled benchmark, if there is some kind of ground truth data set, you, you may want to validate um, whether the responses from the LLM application for the prompts in the ground truth data set are closer mm -hmm. to the expected responses. Uh, but I, I think we should not stop there. Like we should also uh, think about what happens if uh, uh, say the, the, the input prompts are slight variants, right? If they retain the semantic meaning, but uh, the syntactically they look different or the responses changing a lot. Um, again, this is more like robustness. Uh, or you can go one step further and see uh, see whether how robust is the LLM application to uh, uh, different types of security attacks, whether these are, say, prompt injection attacks or other kinds of adversarial attacks. Um, and of I course, see. you can you can also go further beyond that. Maybe um, if you if the application or the domain demands it, um, requires it, it's it's always a great idea to. Uh, do stress testing for bias or um, stress testing for uh, PAA leakage uh, or uh, or uh, other kinds of responsible AI dimensions. And, and also like uh, after doing all this testing, uh, it's not enough to just test these once. It's good. It's a good idea to set things up so that these kinds of tests are done regularly because just because you have vetted the LLM uh, before deployment, there is no reason to expect that it will continue to remain robust or free of biases uh, at the runtime as well. So you have to kind of always think about both validating and then continuing to monitor or have the safety checks uh, uh, once deployed as well. Absolutely. I think I misunderstood the question a bit. Um, but yeah, I think um, uh, well, one thing interesting related to this is we've seen quite a lot of LLM applications uh, that's output structured data or able to become structured data. Uh, people tend to use even some of the model evaluation technique we've been developing in the ML ops space. Um, for example, the function calling case where you're returning a structured JSON, mm -hmm. uh, you can compare the output, uh, even accuracy, or if there's uh, unstructured data, compare their similarity. Um, as also cases like SQL generation, you can perhaps run the SQL and compare the result to get a more accurate view of how the model is performing uh, and uh, kind of set that up to automate the testing going forward as you change your application. Oh, so along those lines, like, are you seeing or have you seen um, instances where uh, there are mitigation approaches as well, right? Like, let's say that 
you instruct an LLM to generate the response in a JSON format, but maybe it does that uh, 90% of the time. But if, if for the remaining 10%, it generates something close enough to a JSON, but maybe there is some kind of syntax or right, it, it does mm -hmm. not obey the uh, JSON syntax. Can you then, or are people applying some kind of uh, bandages, right? Ways to fix that in those kinds of situations. Um, I, I think fine-tuning is a really good way of fixing that issue. Uh, in my experience, fine-tuned model, if you, it's only seen generated JSON data, I tend to follow that really well. Um, with uh, If you're just doing that through prompt, uh, you probably need a slightly larger model to be able to follow this kind of uh, slightly more complicated instruction. Um, but some of the magic words are like, the output must be uh, a valid JSON following certain specification uh, and give it a few examples that tend to work pretty well if you're working with a very large uh, parameter size model. Uh, um, how can mm -hmm. we confirm if the output generated by uh, LLMs specifically for images is correct? Um, so I guess the spirit of the question is, let's say there is a generative AI model that generates images say maybe a diffusion model or otherwise, uh, how do we go about checking whether the generated image is uh, correct? I see, I see. Um, th that's a very interesting question. I, I've never thought about that. I guess one, one potential thing you could do is also use another uh, model to describe the image and then compare the output's similarity. Uh, but I don't know if that gets to the accuracy you will need. Um, otherwise, there's always a route of just human labeling and evaluating the data set, uh, the, the images generated. Uh, so one line of uh, uh, work that I have uh, uh, seen or heard about is, um, set a, in, in many image generation settings, there may not be a notion of uh, a ground truth or the image to generate. Right? If, you, if you ask the right. model to generate, an image of um, sunset on a beach with maybe horses walking around, right? Like uh, there's no single image, but what you can do then is you can take, look at the generated images and even apply um, say um, techniques in the reverse direction. You can up apply say object detection or object identification models and see whether the image contains in this case a horse, whether the image is about a sunset, uh, whether the image uh, is, uh, in a beach setting and so forth. And mm -hmm. uh, this may be a way to uh, test the generated image, uh, kind of like using models themselves to some extent. And of course, like human uh, evaluation goes one step further and can can kind of uh, address issues that, uh, you, certain issues that you may not be able to identify just by approaches like image detection, object detection. But these may be some ways you can, uh, uh, you can, test whether the the model has obeyed the instruction. But in That's terms right. of testing whether the model generated the best possible image, uh, that becomes a little bit subjective. And maybe, I don't know whether you can use another uh, kind of uh, yeah, image to text kind of model to, to assess the quality of two generated images. Or maybe you, you may want to use uh, human judgments in terms of which of these Images is the best output for this model for this square prompt. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
so let's let's go a little bit into uh, different ways in which uh, uh, different LLM developers have been thinking about leveraging LLMs. Um, so these go all the way from say aspects like prompt engineering uh, to uh, say a retrieval augmented generation or fine tuning, or even if you have large enough uh, proprietary data training your own LLM. Um, in your view, how should LLM developers decide between these different options? Mm-hmm. Um, I think even today, fine-tuning and, of course, training your own LLM still requires a lot of in-house expertise uh, to process the, to, to get the right data prepared um, and also figure out the right recipe, especially for training your own LLMs. I think fine-tuning has become a lot easier nowadays and it works for uh, solve the domain specific use cases really well uh, but regardless this type of setup uh, have that initial uh, a pretty complex process to to set it up uh, not only for the training process but we also discussed how you continue to evaluate their performance over time um, and uh, it's a uh, it's a complexity that you need to think about if your team is worth the time uh, for your for your use case, uh, RAG on the other hand, I think it's quite a bit easier to get started. Um, I think the one main benefit I see with RAG is it's a lot more transparent and gives you more control uh, in terms of you know uh, you can see exactly what are the data set the RAG application is accessing to. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to implement something like access control, role based access control. Um, you know, one user can only access certain amount of, you know, certain range of data in your database. You can easily add that on top of a RAG application. Uh, it also makes way easier to add or remove data, uh, you know, to limit LM from accessing certain data. If you want to do, uh, you know, data governance, uh, data lineage to track what are the data being used, which version of the data set it were accessed uh, at a certain point of time. Uh, and how those data set will reflect the real world changes to um, to to those data. It, that transparency makes it really easy for developers to control. Um, and uh, um, I guess lastly, just uh, I, I think the p- most powerful LM, LM apps uh, tend to combine some of those approach above. Uh, you could build a RAG application on top of fine-tuned large language models. Uh, or fine, even fine-tune the embedding to improve the retrieval uh, performance, uh, and then use prop engineering, you know, to to fine-tune uh, to to improve the model's uh, the overall performance. Yeah. Yes. I I, I I I I fully agree. I think there's often um yeah yeah thought yeah thought that these approaches are kind of ex- mutually exclusive, but as you pointed out just now they, it's they're not you you can kind of combine say a retrieval augmented generation along with fine-tuning right because both of these are serving slightly different aspects uh i recently saw this analogy with um, uh, say a patient going in a healthcare setting right getting some advice from the doctor uh, the analogy was more like the doctor's specialization uh, is considered analogous to fine-tuning and all the historical context uh, about the patient was considered analogous to uh, the the re- retrieval, right? The retrieval augmented generation, all the context that you retrieve 
for that specific patient. So, so clearly, like both of these can coexist, right? You don't, you don't, uh, you, in spite of the doctor specializing in some domain, you still need the the context of the patient. And uh, similarly, like just having the context of the patient may not always be enough, right? Like again, it depends on the application. Um, so, so along similar lines, I think if when it, when we think of a final application, I think it's it's good to think of all these uh, the, the, some of these issues that you you highlighted. Like, do we do we want the LLM to uh, respond just based on the retrieved data? Then I think the retrieval retrieval augmented generation is very important. You don't want the LLM to just go and uh, start discussing things outside this domain, right? Or start hallucinating. Um, at the same time, if you want uh, if your application is reasonably different from uh, maybe uh, the, the, uh, generic applications, then fine tuning is always a, a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so let let's uh, let let me go into uh, another uh, question uh, that uh, uh, I see here. So yes, yeah, so I think th- we kind of answered this question about. Should uh, machine learning teams consider RAG over fine-tuning? Can both methods coexist when deploying an LLM? Uh, the answer is uh, yes. Um, but, but, but related to that, uh, do you have thoughts on, say, when people go about fine-tuning uh, an LLM, how often do you think they should fine-tune? Uh, like they might, they might fine-tune, say, let's say they have fine-tuned uh, an LLM now um, and they deploy it. Do you have a sense of what may be the parameters or what may be the considerations to decide when to fine-tune the model again? Mm-hmm. Um, that's very interesting because it's quite different than the retraining process in the more traditional ML ops setup where the changes in the data could, uh, the distribution shift could actually affect the performance quite drastically. Um, I think Rack kind of uh, solves some of those problems. If you have new data arrived, if there are changes in your uh, source uh, data, it kind of reflects that on the fly. Um, and uh, also depends on what's the goal for fine-tuning. Is it for the model to memorize some of the fact? Uh, or is it more about having the model to follow a specific format or of the response? Uh, I mentioned earlier, you can find an LM to understand, say, function definitions and return the structure JSON format. Uh, for those cases, you probably won't need to frequently uh, fine-tune the model uh, unless you are adding maybe a new type of syntax for the for the model that it doesn't work so well before. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, thanks, Chai. Chai. Let, let, me, let me go to yeah, yeah, kind of related, uh, uh, maybe high-level question, right? Like, uh, what are the top, the three in your view? Like, what what are the uh, top three biggest challenges uh, when running uh, LLMs and other uh, gen- generative AI apps in product production? Um, top three biggest challenges. Um, I think um, I, I can go first. One is evaluation, uh, understanding how your model performing. Uh, you know, um, and the second is security. Uh, so make sure your models are behaving as the way you expect it. Don't generate toxic content uh, and uh, don't hallucinate too much. Then mislead your user. 
Uh, and the last one is about uh, just overall um, excellency of your infrastructure. Are you running things uh, under acceptable latency? Can you support large amount of concurrent users accessing your service? And are things cost efficient? Are you utilizing all the GPU resources uh, that's very expensive from the cloud provider? Yeah, 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 yes. I think it makes a lot of sense. All these dimensions are really important. And and between these, like, uh, do you have thoughts on when somebody is just developing a new LLM application, uh, do do you have a sense of should they focus on one versus the other or do should they consider all these the simultaneously? Um, I think uh, those three, I think, are most important when you are thinking about getting things into production. They're all very important. Uh, probably depends on your business. You want to uh, uh, you want to prioritize them differently. But when you're just starting out, I feel like it's still that validating the business impact, getting a prototype and to end working. Uh, that's probably uh, more important because that's how you justify investing more engineering and resources into the project. Um, so let me let me take uh, a question which is a little bit related. Uh, what are the concerns expressed by enterprise customers uh, when they deploy generative AI for production in terms of the AI risk management? Do they care just about the performance such as accuracy, precision, recall? Um, of the models, or do they also care about robustness, fairness, explainability, and so on? Uh, if they care about these risks, uh, what is the difference between generative AI and a common uh, a traditional machine learning use case or model? Um, so uh, um, I, I can mm -hmm. yes, uh, stab at this and uh, would love you to share your, add your thoughts as well. Um, I, 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 as we kind of briefly discussed earlier, um, I, I think the AI governance and uh, risk management is definitely a top of the concern for enterprise customers. Um, they definitely they first they they do care about aspects like performance, right? A performance in terms of the quality of the responses, uh, whether it is uh, accuracy or other related NLP related metrics or image-related metrics for the models. Uh, but in addition, uh, the things that we hear a lot are uh, things like, uh, is there toxicity in the responses? Um, is, the, is the prompt or the response potentially leaking any uh, personally identifiable information or PAA? Um, how robust is this application? The, the application might look great in a demo setting, but when you actually deploy it in production, would it continue to remain robust? Um, uh, then depending on, again, the, the specific domain, like especially like if the customer is in a regulated domain, they do care about aspects like uh, bias, uh, exhibited by the LLM, or um, the need to explain how the model is making its prediction. Um, also, like I, I, we are we are seeing uh, the difference in approaching these kinds of risk management depending on uh, where the application uh, is situated. If the application is targeted for an uh, end user or a customer facing side, 
then the enterprises seem to care a lot more about these issues because they don't they are concerned about uh, both reputational damage if the model generates some toxic content or or even worse like what happened with bing ai uh, encourages somebody to commit suicide and so forth um they are also uh, uh, concerned about robustness and right, like aspects like that uh, when it comes to customer facing chatbots or other kinds of applications but if the application is internal facing maybe helping a loan officer assisting a loan officer or assisting uh, say a domain expert in terms of doing some kind of enterprise search and consolidating all the data uh, in within the enterprise then it, then i think there is a little bit more appetite uh, to and there is a little bit less concern about some of these risks but broadly i would say that um, enterprises do ca care a lot about um, understanding these risks and uh, also monitoring right uh, both vetting the model for such risks before deployment and continuing to uh, see measure the risk over time uh, and to the extent needed they want to identify approaches to mitigate that risk um, so a related dimension we see often is that uh, these models may not exist in isolation often these models might exist to help some domain expert so even understanding when such models can be relied upon and when we should instead defer to the domain expert itself is a huge of huge value understanding the failure modes of LLMs or other types of models and being able to defer to the domain expert when the models are not expected to work well is also important. It's not necessarily the required that the model should be accurate 100% of the time. We just need to know when the model cannot be relied upon. Um, and going to this uh, comment about uh, when should enterprises use uh, predictive ML approaches versus uh, some of the LLM or other approaches, uh, I think it again very much depends on the the use case if if the use case is highly regulated and uh, there is a requirement to be able to articulate uh, ex, uh how the model is making its prediction like in lending or similar settings or to articulate the fairness uh, or right lack of bias of the model then it may be better to go with well understood predictive machine learning settings models but if the the uh, on the other hand if the application is a little bit open-ended uh, and where you want to leverage all the benefits of natural language interface uh, or creativity of the diffusion models and so forth then going for the generative AI models uh, might be a good approach uh would you like to add any thoughts um i think you covered it really well i i guess in general um, people are seeing what amazing things large language model can do, but on the other side, uh, we talk about responsible AI. Uh, we want to be aware of the biases uh, and potentially toxic content generated from uh, large language models. Um, the the whole industry, a lot of uh, open source community and vendors are working really hard in solving those problems. Uh, I guess developers shouldn't be too intimidated by those uh, risks. I, I guess uh, a lot of new open source tools uh, and products are now available to help uh, reduce those risks and understanding large range models behavior uh, a lot better nowadays. Let me take a question on the hardware requirements. Uh, what are the hardware requirements 
in terms of gpu uh, or otherwise to to run useful open source models like say llama 2 uh, 7 billion parameters and above um that's a great question we we tend to think about that under the operability uh uh category uh, i guess the first question is does the model fit in the amount of gpu memory you have um i think specifically for llama 27b i think the smallest we can write is probably just a t4 gpu uh, with very limited amount of memory um and with quantization you can even fit slightly larger models to a smaller gpu um but one thing to be aware there is uh large range model especially combining with some of the latest um inference optimizations uh such as continuous batching having more available uh gpu memory actually helps you improve the latency and uh latency and throughput of your large range model service uh so in practice uh if you are looking to uh provide this llama 27b model being accessed by many applications and you want to serve um a saturated gpu as much as possible it's generally good to reserve uh, enough memory for running inferences uh, and doing all the caching that's necessary for the scheduler considering there is no ground truth how do you test for performance of an llm are there any standard uh, data sets or benchmarks uh, used for this um This question is more, I guess, it's more about evaluating the large language models capability itself. Um, yeah, that that area, I'm not an expert. I think uh, more generally, we see people. Uh, there are quite a lot of organizations focus on evaluating large language model itself out there, and a lot of benchmarks available. Uh, I think in practice, people tend to focus a bit more on evaluating for specific. Uh, you know domain specific use cases how they are performing um so um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah in fact uh, yeah i was about to just uh, reflect on this exact sentiment right i think um there are a number of, uh, there are a few resources for evaluating llms themselves uh, for example if you want to evaluate an llm in a chatbot setting uh, there is uh, something called a, a multiton or mt benchmark uh, there are uh, leaderboards uh, Uh, for example lms is is a leaderboard for uh, chatbots and other language models or hugging face has similar leaderboards um yeah we discussed some of we discussed some of these evaluation approaches in the uh, the tutorial i was referring to but that said i think what's important in an enterprise setting is to evaluate in a specific application setting if you are say a healthcare company or if you are a manufacturing company um These these evaluations done in a generic setting may not carry over. It's still a good idea to evaluate with respect to maybe uh, uh, prompts and responses or otherwise for that specific domain uh, which is of interest in your setting. And there are we're starting to see tools uh, being uh, developed with these kinds of uh, situations in mind. Um, so, what are the uh, suggestions to overcome uh, context length restrictions? with the open source models uh, do you have thoughts on that um i think there are some uh kind of research and experimental work to work, work around the context lens limit um but i don't think there's any breakthrough that really uh, gives you the same quality of performance um i guess another approach i've seen some developers experimenting uh is more around offline thinking let's say 
in the retrieval augmented uh, generation application, uh, a user question may need a tons of context that's way too large for LLM to process. Uh, but if you can have the large range models thinking about those problems in the background and you know really make them the knowledge more concise uh, in the in the database, then you can be more efficient when retrieving relevant information. Uh, it's kind of thinking if you ask me a really hard question right now, it might take me a while to figure out uh, you know the answer to the question. But if it's a question I've been thinking in the background for a while, I can probably retrieve it by, from my memory and answer it immediately. Uh, so I think there are other approaches in terms of how you orchestrate your LLM apps uh, and on the infrastructure side uh, that can help you work around the context lens. Yeah, th thanks, Chao. Like, I, I think since we're almost running out of time, I'll just read some of the other questions. Any practical techniques to protect um, LLMs against uh, data poisoning? So this is the setting where an adversary injects uh, some specific uh, uh, type of data as part of the training data so that the, the LLM would, uh, with the goal of making the model respond in a very specific manner on a small niche aspects, but otherwise it becomes largely undetectable. Um, where do you see the market and specifically developer traction as the biggest bet going forward? Open source uh, generative AI models versus uh, uh, closed source models like OpenAI. Uh, what are the considerations to build these applications uh, when it comes to multilingual situations or user access from mobile platforms? Um, I, th I think there are there are many more questions that we would love to have gotten into, but we don't have time. Uh, I, I would love you to maybe share any concluding thoughts, any, any, any overall guidance to all the listeners today. Mm -hmm. I guess relevant to that last question you just mentioned, I, I firmly believe in open source uh, language model and uh, uh, especially due to its transparency and control, it gives the developers to further customize those LM applications and also uh, easily embed, you know, evaluation, uh, observability and security deep into their stack. Uh, so I think that's um, most likely the future for how LMs are applying to different industries and enterprises. Um, and uh, we're still early in this journey and really fortunate to have a large open source community and uh, with our friends at Fiddler to work on some of those challenges together. Yeah, likewise, uh, um, yeah, yeah. We, are, we are very excited to be at the forefront when it comes to addressing some of this trustworthiness and observability challenges and looking forward to working with Bento ML and the broader community to help advance uh, the, this domain. And uh, thank you all for joining us today. And uh, it was a fantastic uh, conversation. Uh, thanks, Chao, for your time. Thank you again for having me.